We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens, we want to see. to the point. Here's what's going on. The children's ministry will have connect time together on Sunday evenings. Our first through third graders will meet at 4 p.m. and fourth through sixth graders will meet at 6 p.m. Both groups will enjoy activities, Bible study, and games. Kids will meet by the fire pit near the lake in the back parking lot. For details, contact Pastor Kevin. Registration is open for kids summer camp at Dora Lake June 28th through 30th. Kids Camp is for 1st through 6th graders and includes lots of fun lake activities, laser tag, basketball, and more. Parents are welcome to join us. Visit longviewpoint.org for details or to register. 
Celebrate Recovery will begin meeting on campus again this Friday. CR is a Christ-centered recovery program for anyone with hurts, habits, or hang-ups. As a precaution, there will be no meal or child care provided. For more information about this ministry, contact Pastor Jason. Registration is now open for the Point Day School for the 2021 school year. Our two-day program is available for babies through four-year-olds, and our three-day program is offered for 2K through kindergarten. Visit the Point Day School page of our website to register or contact Point Day School Director Angela Kaysen for more information. There is still an opportunity available to be a part of the Holy Land Tour led by Pastor Wade this September. If you would like more information about this trip, contact Joe Gifford. That's what's going on at The Point. Let's expand His kingdom across the street and around the world. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight it was my dream Till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my dream Till I met you 
we love you. Lord, you are good. And Father, you are worthy of all our praise this morning. Come thou fount of every blessing, attune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melody sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, the mount of thy redeeming love. I was lost in utter darkness. Till you came and rescued me I will 
I hope that you're doing well where you are. It's good to be able to be with you even in this platform. Um, this is um, what we hope to be one of uh, the last pre-recorded Sunday morning worship services that we'll need to provide for you online. 
I know that there will be uh, some of you, maybe many of you, who because of health circumstances or other circumstances of life won't be able to be in person with us in worship services for the next several weeks. I hope it's limited to weeks. Uh, we're going to continue to provide an opportunity for you to connect with us online, but uh, in the next few weeks we'll transition from this pre-recorded format to a fully live live stream that will air uh, the second of the three services that we're providing for you on Sunday morning. So uh, things continue to change at a rapid pace in this COVID-19 season of our life and in the life of our church. But again, I'm glad that we're able to be together in this way, at least in this way. And I'm especially glad that things are opening up, that we're able to begin offering as of today some in-person uh, service opportunities for you. This morning, the focus of our study is going to be the epistle of 3 John. If you would take your Bibles, turn with me to 3 John. We're going to look at all 14 verses of this very short letter in the New Testament near the back of your New Testament if you're new to the study of the Scripture. My encouragement to you is to lay aside any distractions, to find a place uh, where you or your family can gather without distraction and uh, huddle up, take out your Bibles, and uh, just try to be as best you can in the same frame of mind that you might be in if you were gathered in our worship center with us here. Again, 3 John, beginning in verse number 1, we're going to read all 14 verses of 3 John. Verse 1 begins, The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, I love you in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically just as you are spiritually. For I was glad when some brothers came and testified to your faithfulness to the truth, how you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you're showing faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers, especially when they're strangers. They have testified to your love in front of the church. You'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake, sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we can be co-workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive us. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he's doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he's not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers himself, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also testify for him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. It is as though 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John grow increasingly personal. 1st John seems to be a sermon to be delivered to the entire body of the church. And it has a sermonic effect. It has a certain rhetorical flourish about its presentation of the gospel 
and, and the consequences of the gospel in the life of the believer. Second John is a more typical New Testament letter addressed to the church, which would have also received the sermon that was 1 John 1 through 5, but it's more specific, kind of an introduction to the letter that was to be read as a sermon for them. And then 3 John is written specifically to a man named Gaius, presumably a leading elder in the church that John was addressing. And I suggested to you last week a, a, a theory that says that these three letters were packaged together and delivered at once, probably by the Demetrius that's mentioned in the end of 3 John here in verse number 12. Writing to Gaius, John commends his efforts in leadership his assistance for the brothers, his uh, assistance for brothers, especially those engaged in missions or kingdom advancing work. He commends um, Gaius's efforts at uh, not only assisting the brothers, but resisting outside influences in the process of assisting the brothers and provides some counsel for dealing with a man named Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence or first place, and an encouragement, a commendation of the character of Demetrius, who seems to be the deliverer of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We have introductory material in verses 1 through 4, where John speaks of himself here as the elder, addresses specifically the letter to his dear friend Gaius, and then states his love for him, I love you in the truth. We dealt with the idea of loving someone in the truth, how it is the truth of the gospel that enables us to love, how it is the truth of the gospel that compels us to love, the, 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 the effect, the impact of the truth of the gospel in our life is, among other things, love for the brothers. John is expressing that in a more succinct way here in the introduction. To my dear friend Gaius, I love you in the truth. Then in verse 2 he says, Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in every way and be in good health physically just as you are spiritually. John knows something by report of Gaius's spiritual health and well-being. He has heard, as he states in just a few verses from now, that his children, Gaius being among them, are walking in the truth, how they're providing for the needs of other brothers and how those brothers have testified before the church to the faithfulness of Gaius and other elders or leaders within the church. He knows the spiritual health of Gaius. But his prayer for him here is that he would prosper, that is, in material terms, that he would have the things that he needs, not just for life personally, but for kingdom advancing work, and that he would be in good health physically in the same way he's in good health spiritually. Now, um, it, here's one of the very delicate balances that I'm not sure I've always been able to strike well during this COVID-19 season, but I want to remind you, especially because we're having in-person services today, and so those of you who are watching online are, are hearing at this point a slightly different message than those who will be gathered here in person, but you're hearing this in a slightly different way because of the circumstances in your life that have contributed to your being at home this morning. I, I know that there are going to be folks who have a sense of guilt and a certain conviction about not being in the in the in-person fellowship of the church and maybe your health simply will not permit that you can. You, you have a spiritual responsibility 
to take care of your physical health. You are at your best in making kingdom contributions often when you are in good physical condition. I hope as your pastor to alleviate you, those of you with health problems, those of you with compromised immunity, I I want to lift the burden of, of unnecessary guilt from you if you're not able to be here as we're meeting in person that looking out for your physical well-being or the physical well-being of your family, those in your care, is a reasonable and godly thing in and of itself. Now, I stated last week, I'll say again at the conclusion of this week's message, there's just no replacement for the gathering together of the church, for the assembling of the saints. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, that love and good works would be stirred up in your heart. But there are seasons of time. There have been seasons of time in the history of the church when we were kept from being able to assemble together. There have been other pandemics, epidemics that prevented the church, in this case globally, but oftentimes in a regional way from being able to meet together. And those are understandable, acceptable things that that happen. God knows that these things happen. We have a responsibility as believers. Now this the, the more general principle here is one that I'm somewhat passionate about. We have a responsibility as believers to take care of ourselves physically. If, if you're not operating optimally physically, you're going to be limited from being able to operate optimally spiritually. So take care of yourselves. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you have to have, uh, be on a keto diet and have a CrossFit membership in, in order to be a godly person. But I am saying to you that if you'll take care of yourself, that if you'll take care of the temple that God has given you, home to the Holy Spirit, it will serve you well in a variety of, of different ways. John is praying for this toward this end for his friend Gaius. I'm praying that you'd have all that you need materially and that you'd be in good shape physically just as you are spiritually. In verse 3, John says, I was glad when some brothers came and testified to your faithfulness to the truth, how you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John had heard from others of Gaius' faithfulness in the gospel. Let me tell you, it, it brightens my day and it refreshes my heart when I hear from folks from outside of our fellowship of the faithfulness of the members of our fellowship in gospel advancing causes and ministering to the needs of the saints. That's precisely what John is describing here. Word had gotten back to the Apostle John of the faithfulness of Gaius and other members of the church and the great hospitality that they had shown those who were doing the work of kingdom advancement. In verse 5, we really get to the meat of 3 John. John commends Gaius showing faithfulness. And in the process of celebrating the faithfulness that Gaius had shown, he gives us some insights as to how we might show faithfulness in our lives to the cause of the gospel. In verse 5 he says, Dear friend, you're showing faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers, especially when they're strangers. So if we're looking for the the consequences or a command from this passage for our personal life, here's how we might interpret what John has described, this back and forth between John and Gaius. 
We are charged by God to show faithfulness in every area of our life. And we know, given the celebration that John offers of Gaius' faithfulness, that here are a number of ways that we can show faithless, uh, faithfulness. One, by helping the brothers and especially those who are strangers. Now, somewhere along the way, John had provided hospitality to, assistance to brothers who had passed his way. Gaius had shown hospitality to brothers who had passed his way. And the word of Gaius's faithfulness and that of the church had made its way back to John. That's precisely what he's describing here. Now, the system, as we were reminded last week in the New Testament era, was that if you were on mission, if you had committed your life to kingdom advancement on the frontier, that the way of finding support and encouragement was stopping house to house among believers and finding support and encouragement there. Gaius had shown willingness to do that, to bring into his home those who were on gospel missions or perhaps brothers who were merely passing through his area and providing them with support, even in the case of those who were unknown to him. There's an element of risk and perhaps even danger that goes with Gaius' faithfulness here. He's showing faithfulness by providing for the needs of brothers, especially brothers who were strangers. Again, an added level of challenge and even potentially some danger here. In verse 6, the Bible says, They have testified to your love in front of the church. They were so taken by what Gaius had done for them, the love that he had shown them and the way he provided for their needs, that they stood before the church and said, let me tell you of Gaius and his faithfulness and his kindness and the support that he's shown us. We, we, want, we want to lavish our brothers and sisters in Christ with such hospitality, with such kindness, that they're compelled to tell others of the faithfulness that has been shown them. They testify before the church, and John continues in verse 6, you'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. So Gaius showed faithfulness not only by providing for the needs of the brother of the brothers, especially strangers, but supporting them in the work of ministry. It seems clear to me that these are, for the most part, not just brothers who are passing through incidentally. They're passing through with a purpose. They're passing through on a mission. They are to be sent forth in a manner worthy of God. That is, Gaius is to give them his best, to provide for them as best he possibly can, because these brothers have set out not for the advancement of their personal kingdoms, or for the praise of their name, but for the sake of the name, that is the name of Jesus Christ. They are traveling in order that others may know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. They have put themselves in harm's way. They've gone to dangerous places and they've taken great risk. They have faced unbelief and great opposition so that the world may know that God has so loved the world that He gave His only Son that Jesus has come from heaven to earth, lived without sin in the flesh, that He would die on the cross in our place as our substitute, be raised again on the third day, that the once lifeless body of Jesus Christ is alive and He is well, that even at this moment, 
At the moment of their passing by the home of Gaius, and now nearly 2,000 years later at this moment, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in a place and a position of great authority. Indeed, all authority has been given to him both in heaven and on earth. These men had gone out for the sake of the name and the message of Jesus Christ, that the truth of the gospel might be known to the ends of the world. And Gaius has shown his faithfulness by giving support to brothers who had given themselves over to the work of ministry. One of the ways that you can show faithfulness to the gospel is by showing faithfulness to those who have given themselves to gospel advancing work for the sake of the name. In verse 8, John says, Plainly, therefore, we ought to support such men so that we can be co-workers with the truth. There's a couple of things here that I want you to see. One, I want you to see that supporting the work of ministers and missionaries is commanded in the Scripture. Here John says, you ought to do such things. You've done the right thing. We ought to support such men so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Not only are we instructed to provide that support, but in ways that often are unseen from this side, we are joined together with their work of ministry by providing support for them. So one of the things that's really exciting about being a Southern Baptist is giving through the cooperative program and maybe the most exciting thing because it is so emphasized and it happens within this concentrated time of the year is giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And here's what that means for us, that we are being joined together in the ministry of every missionary who is funded by, encouraged by, supported by, sent out by, helped by those funds given through the cooperative program and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We maybe don't celebrate that enough, but I imagine a day when before the throne of Jesus, it becomes clear to us the, the tentacles of the support that you have provided, that we've had the opportunity to provide, even as individuals in the life that God has given us here on earth. And there will be men and women and boys and girls from all over this planet who have come to faith in Jesus through the work of faithful missionaries who have gone out for the sake of the name and with the support of brothers and sisters like you and like me, and, and for the first time, we'll become completely aware, perhaps, of the many ways that we've been joined together with gospel work that we may be totally unaware of in the here and now. One of the ways that you can show faithfulness is by joining yourself with the work of faithful men and women who have gone out for the sake of the name by providing material and financial support for the needs that arise within their ministries. John says, Gaius, you've shown faithfulness, and here's how you've done it. And by reading Gaius's mail, we're able to draw some conclusions about our own life. Namely, that we may show faithfulness in our personal experience by showing support and love to the brothers, by supporting the ministries of those who have gone out. And when we do so, we're joined together in the work of ministry that God has called us to.
Here's the second thing that John focuses on here in the heart of the letter. Verses 9 through 12 provide uh, a, a new topic, a new address. There's a transition between verse 8 and verse number 9. John gets really specific here. Remember, this is a much more personal letter. This is not necessarily a letter originally intended for the body of the church, but a correspondence between the Apostle John and Gaius, an elder in the church. He gets really specific. He identifies an enemy of the Apostle John and the Apostles in general and a friend to both Gaius, John, and we could add to that even a friend to the church. Here John is instructing Gaius to separate the friends from the foes. This is a topic that we do well to spend a great deal of time with, but we'll address it as best we can within the time we have. Verse 9, John says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among, among them, does not receive us. Let's unpack that for just a moment so that we understand exactly what's happening here. This verse, by the way, is one of the reasons that I think this theory of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John being packaged together makes sense out of what we have here. John says again, listen carefully, I wrote something to the church. That, that is, there, there was another letter, not a 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but another letter but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, and that's not a good thing, desiring to have first place in the way Diotrephes desired to have first place was not a noble desire. Perhaps John understands this well. There was a time when a certain James and John uh, asked of Jesus, can one sit at your right hand and one at your left? And in asking this of Jesus, they demonstrated that they understood nothing of what the kingdom was to be about in the first place. Jesus said, if you want to be first in the kingdom, what you really need to be is last. If you want to be first in the church, you don't need to be grabbing for preeminence or desiring to be first. What you need to long for, what you need to desire for is to be servant of all. So John says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive us. I understand here John to be indicating that there was a writing other than 1st and 2nd John, and for that matter 3rd John, that had been sent to the church. But because Diotrephes desired to have first place or preeminence within the church, he did not receive John, therefore did not receive his letter. One of the characteristic traits of an enemy of the people of God is a want to withhold from them the Word of God. A want to keep from them sound teaching. The constant sounding of the alarm against good, solid, gospel content. Diotrephes had been at work to ensure that the church did not have access to the instruction provided them by the Apostle John. I, th I think that lends credibility to the theory that these three letters are written together, packaged together, to, to be delivered to Gaius, to the church, and then the sermon that was to be preached to the entirety of the church. And perhaps it's a good reason why Demetrius was sent with these letters and such a strong word of affirmation for the life and ministry of Demetrius is offered here at the conclusion of our, of our letter. In verse 10, the Bible says, This is why, if I come... I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers himself, he even stops those who want to do so and expels them 
from the church. So the enemy of the church not only wants to withhold the word of God, I don't think it's to do violence to what John has described here, given the fact that he is an apostle and he bears binding authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, having witnessed the resurrected Savior, having been with Jesus in such a powerful way. Diotrephes' efforts at preventing the church from receiving John's letters tantamount to withholding from them substantive teaching that would have been good for their practical life and for their spiritual life. The enemy of the church withholds the word of God. And the second thing that John describes here is that an enemy of the church slanders the people of God. He, he is speaking falsehoods against the apostle John. I, I, I think we are arriving at a place in the 21st century church life where we often run dangerously close, even in our efforts at defending the gospel, to doing exactly what Diotrephes is described as doing here in the passage. There are times when we need to say much more than what we say. And then there are times when, frankly, brothers and sisters, we need to say a lot less than what we're apt to say. Social media has become a, a, a cancer in so many ways. Think carefully about the things that you say. And think critically about the things that you read, even the videos that you watch. There, there, there are powerful anti-Christian influences at work in the world and even within the church that would seek to divide us and prevent us from enjoying the unity that God intends for us as a church. And I don't just mean our local assembly. I mean the church in general. The, 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 the anti-Christian influences in this world tremble at the idea of a church unified under the banner of the gospel. We're becoming more and more accustomed to this idea, the language of fake news in our culture. Well, fake news has made its way into the church, to the life of the church as well. And you need to be very, very careful that you're thinking critically and rationally about the things that you see and certainly think carefully and critically about the things that you see and hear and read before you begin to speak to those issues and run carefully close to, if not violating the same um, the, the, the same idea here that Diotrephes does in slandering the Apostle John. You also need to know that staying close to the gospel, that being faithful to the gospel, I think we can say safely that the Apostle John was faithful to the gospel, that being faithful does not mean that your life is going to be free from slander. In other words, being faithful sometimes means that you're going to be the target of someone else's slander. You should be aware of this by now, that the world is not warm to the truth of the gospel. That staying faithful to Jesus means that often we're going to be regarded just as Jesus was regarded, namely despised and hated and outcast in so many ways. The foe of the church withholds the word of God and slanders the people of God. There's a third thing here that we've already read about. John says that he's not satisfied with that, that is slandering the brothers. He not only refuses to welcome the brothers himself, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. So in this letter, John is celebrating Gaius's faithfulness to provide support for the brothers who are passing by, especially the strangers. 
But Diotrephes is withholding support, and he's critical of those who provide support, so much so he wants to throw the people out of church who have actually been providing support to ministers of the church. The enemy of the church will withhold their support from good gospel ministries, and they'll withhold their hospitality as well. Well, John has something to say in verses 11 and 12 about friends to the brother, about a friend to the church. He says in verse 11, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. Here's how you distinguish, ultimately. This is the litmus test between the good and the bad. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil is of, of the evil one. The dangerous thing here, the tricky thing often is that the evil tend to do enough good to have at least some legitimacy or they wouldn't have a voice at all within the church. And then when it comes their opportune moment for doing what is evil, opposing the church, withholding the word of God or opposing the gospel of God, uh, preventing others from finding support and encouragement that they might need within the context of the church, it's difficult to know because you have something of a track record of what appeared to have been good deeds or good works. There was something that happened in their past that gave them that kind of standing. In the moment, you have to evaluate the fruit in their life. You have to look at the things that they've done or the things that they've not done. You have to make an assessment on the basis of what's happening in that given moment. Is this thing of God? Is this not of God? Is this evil in some way? But look at the things that are done within the context of the whole life, the whole ministry. In verse 12, John says, Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, and we also testify for him, and you know that our testimony is true. Friend of the church will have a testimony that is rich with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll have a conversion experience that is valid, that is visible in their personal life, that is consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll exhibit a faithfulness to the word. Not only does Demetrius have a good testimony among the brothers, but his testimony is consistent to the truth of the gospel, and he's living out actively in his personal life the commandments of the gospel. I'll tell you a third thing that Demetrius has here that is an important um, attribute. He has the commendation of or the support of other godly men. John says in verse 12, he has a good testimony from everyone. And in the last sentence, we also testify for him and you know that our testimony is true. His association with John the Apostle. The fact that John the Apostle would stand and would vouch for him. I, I, I hope, brothers and sisters, that as you look out for one another, and you ought to look out for one another as members of the body of Christ, that those of you with a voice, when you see brothers and sisters, or anyone for that matter, who's been disparaged or slandered, abused or mistreated in any way, shape, form or fashion, that you'll take the influence that God has given you and stand behind those who stand for what is right. John says, you know me, you know my testimony is true, and I'm vouching for Demetrius that he's a good and faithful brother. It's necessary that he does so in order for Demetrius to be taking, taken seriously upon the deliverance of this letter. 
but he doesn't do so carelessly or arbitrarily. He does so on the basis of the testimony of, of Demetrius, that he'd shown faithfulness before everyone, that his life was lived in a manner consistent with the truth of the gospel, and that John and other apostles themselves, those with the greatest of influence and the greatest of authority within the church, had seen, had witnessed firsthand the faithfulness of this man and could say with confidence that he's a good, good and faithful brother to be trusted in the ministry of the gospel. So those are the two main sections of Third John, where Gaius is celebrated for showing faithfulness and then given instruction as to how he is to separate the enemies and the, from the friends of the brothers. Now in verses 13 and 14, John says his farewell. He says, I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. It's apparent in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that there's a closeness enjoyed by John and this congregation, a special closeness between John and the hostess of the church in 2nd John, a special friendship between John and Gaius, the leader of this particular church here in 3rd John. It's a reminder to us of the importance of relationships and friendships within the body of Christ. I, you may have been at Longview Point for many, many years, and your dearest of friends may be here, or you may be in the beginning of your journey here with the Longview Point faith family, just beginning to establish some real friendships, uh, friendships that will take you through what remains of the life that God has in store for you. But don't ever take for granted the preciousness of those friendships. Establish them. Understand that not only are they important for your faith walk, they're important for the faith walk of others as well. Not only do you need friends in your walk, but others need friends as well. We're reminded here again in verse number 13 of how precious it is to be together in person, face to face. John says, I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. For those of you who are at home and who may remain at home for the next several weeks, I would join together with John and share his voice and say to you, I hope to see you soon, face to face. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word and for its truth. God, I pray that as others tune in and watch on smartphones and computer screens and televisions, whatever the case would be, God, that you'd speak through the power of your word, God, that your spirit would not be bridled or hindered in any way, shape, form, or fashion by the distance between us. God, may your word go forth and may it not return void. We'll give you all the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I do look forward to being with you face to face. I, I want you to know that although we may be kept from doing many of the things we're accustomed to doing, that the arm of our God has not been shortened, that He cannot save. If you're watching this morning and you give your heart and life to Jesus, you'd receive the promise of the gospel for everlasting life and the forgiveness of sin. If you'll bow and pray in this moment that God would forgive you, confess the Lordship of Jesus over your life, the Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you do that this morning, if you've done that in days past and counsel with other brothers and sisters, would you reach out to us and let us know of what God's up to in your life? 
The numbers for our pastors are on the screen in front of you. And nothing would make us happier today than to hear from you at home of how God has been at work in a saving way in your living room or in your car driving, whatever the case would be. Maybe you'd wish to be joined to the fellowship of, of this church. Maybe you've been tuning in over the last several weeks and you've decided by conviction that this is where God would have you to be. We'd love to have you as a member of our faith family. Reach out to us and let us know. Continue to give faithfully. I want to encourage you to stay connected. In light of what we've read this morning about the support of ministry, I want you to know that ministry has not stopped. In fact, I'm rather anxious for us to be able to be back together in person so that I'm able to share with you so much of what God has been doing over these past 12 weeks as we've been, been unable to be together in a traditional format. I, I simply cannot wait to see you again. I hope it's very, very soon. Uh, make sure that we've got good lines of communication so that we're able to keep you aware of changes that might need to be made, adjustments in scheduling and various events over these summer months as we continue to adapt to and make changes to accommodate uh, special needs that have uh, come up uh, as a result of, of the virus. But know that we love you. Just because you're out of sight doesn't mean you're out of mind. Your pastors are praying for you. If there's any way at all that we can be of help and encouragement, uh, we're standing ready to do just that. You can reach us at prayer at longviewpoint.org or at any of the numbers that you've seen on the screen during this invitation time. We love you. We miss you. Can't wait to see you soon. Have a great day in Christ.